You're listening to the Forest School podcast with Lewis Ames and Gemma Southerden. Hi guys, this week we caught up with Sarah Collins and Sarah Lawful, both FSA directors, uh, and talking about the Nature Premium campaign that's going on at the moment to try and fund uh, Nature Connection inside UK schools. Uh, Apologise in advance because we did have a little bit of a technical issue where it dropped out just towards the end, but I'm pretty good at editing, so I'm fairly sure you won't even notice. So there we go. Enjoy. Applications for forest school training are now open at childrenoftheforest.com. Check out the podcast links for more details. Okay, my name's Sarah Collins. Um, I am a biologist by training and uh, I did used to work in with the Forestry Commission um, in research, uh, looking at the biological control of the large pine weevil using a parasitic nematode. And um, when I had my son, I took a career break and I was looking for um, options and I heard about Forest School, um, seemed a perfect way of spending time and would fit in with my son's academic um, day. So I trained to be a Forest School practitioner in 2010 um, and became self-employed working with urban children in Portsmouth. Um, Working on your own can be a little bit um, disheartening and isolating. So I uh, put myself through the um, accredited practitioner uh, system with the Institute for Outdoor Learning. Um, and as part of the being an APIOL, um, you are encouraged to contribute to your um, industry. And so I uh, volunteered at the Forest School Association and after a year or so stood as a director. Um, That's quick. And, uh, and Sarah, how about you? Hello, I'm Sarah Lawful and I used to be a primary school teacher and then I became an infant teacher and I worked for about 20 years in schools in Oxfordshire and then I trained as a forest school leader and took children from my school to, to forest school and it was blown away by the impact it had on the children, on my colleagues and the parents. And I was very lucky, I got to have a secondment to the County Council Forest School team, which I did for about a year. And then I just refused to go back to teaching and stayed working with them and became the trainer. So the main trainer for Oxfordshire Forest School Service. After a good few years of doing that, I left to set up my own social enterprise called Where the Fruit Is. And I'm now a, a trainer with the Forest um, the forest school qualifications and I run other kinds of training as well in outdoor learning and and support and mentor um, early year settings to develop their outdoor spaces and I also trained as a an executive coach so I train uh, teams and I work with teams and coach teams so I'm doing all kinds of things but forest school is the place that I discovered all the things that really mattered came together that you had children and adults out in nature, caring for each other, caring for themselves and and learning to look after the planet. So it's the most exciting place to be working. I love it. It really is that thing, isn't it? I always think that there's there's not much that you couldn't, that couldn't possibly happen at Forest School. You know, with 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 the right motivation by a group or the right needs, you can pretty much pick anything and go, yeah, that, that would probably fit <laughs> yeah. in some way if they had this need and, you know, mm. and um, that's just an incredible thing. Um, but we're not here specifically to talk about forest school today. Um, we're here because myself and the two Sarahs are uh, FSA directors and, and we're, uh, I was going to say working on, but that sounds like it's not launched yet. What's a better way of phrasing that? Um. Promoting, committed Promoting. to. Yeah, committed to, committed to. Yeah, it makes it sound real professional. Committed to the Nature Premium campaign, which some people listening might have heard of um, and some people um, might not have. Um, does, do you guys want to have a, a stab at summarising it in a headline for somebody that's never heard? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> at the beginning of lockdown, we were 
uh, as directors of the Forest School Association, we were talking about uh, the impact that lockdown would have on children. And we were concerned um, about the children that we knew, uh, how they would be reacting. Uh, we were also concerned about the inequity of access to nature, which was um, becoming more and more exacerbated by not being able to go outside. Um, and as we were discussing, uh, another director, Matt Harder, said what we need is a nature premium and we all said yes that's a great idea and then we went away i was talking to sarah later that week and uh, mentioned this and um sarah was saying you know this is the time uh, where we need to make a difference and um the benefit to children of being in nature um has been um, demonstrated and it's a fantastic opportunity to help children recover from lockdown by going into nature. So um, I took it to the uh, Forest School Association board and um, we had uh, numerous discussions because we haven't really been a lobbying organisation before but um, it's too good an idea and um, it's about children it's not about the forest school association necessarily it's about getting children into nature um, and so that's what really what we wanted to um to get um it's bigger than our own little niche isn't it i think that's the thing is, yes. is we've done lots of work before about you know promoting the values and the ethos and getting forest school into schools and it kind of seemed like nobody else was stepping in to push just generally for outdoors um like you say it was exacerbated wasn't it because i think uh for my own little bubble i saw lots of stuff over lockdown of people um going oh here's loads of activities you can do in your garden here's stuff you can do um in in the home and, and things like this um and it was i can't remember who it was but somebody pointed out to me just went well what about people that live in a high rise and just, you know you're just going oh wow yeah being in a high rise for three months you know there, there are going to be some children that are really going to be needing this aren't they when they when they go back to school in what is now yeah. a couple of weeks or even not necessarily high rise but um you know densely populated areas where there may be a park like my friend who is living in you know quite a sort of I was going to say wealthy area of London, but London is a hodgepodge, isn't it, of like a very wealthy street next to a very um, not wealthy street or an estate or whatever. Um, and in theory, she had access to loads of amazing green spaces, but everybody who lived there was trying to use those green spaces at the same time. And she just said it was terrifying. You know, there was one fallen tree, which is the most amazing, incredible, enticing place for children to play. So every child in the neighborhood was there wanting to climb on the tree, quite understandably. But she, it was just like, that was the time when it was proper lockdown. You were allowed out once a day and do not go near any other human beings. Um, she couldn't let her kids climb on that tree. She was like, right, children, now we have to go home. You can't, you can't be in nature. There's too many people. So even in some areas where you might think, well, you know, you're not cooped up in a high rise. It's, it's had that effect on, on children. We're, you know, Lewis and I live in rural Devon, don't we, where it's mm. felt very different. But obviously a lot of children have had um, very different experience of lockdown. I just had a question about the um, nature premium uh, campaign because I don't know as much about it as you guys. Um, so can I just clarify that the the idea is that it would be extra money given to schools to implement. So it's a school centric plan. Yeah. Well, schools and nurseries and preschools. So really mm -hmm. understanding that very, very young children have been locked down and locked in really. And even now, people without gardens are actually finding they've got, it's, it's hard to find safe places to play. And I think the anxiety that parents understandably have, and even children, you know, I, I've got grandchildren and, I, and we're now able to go to the park and, you know, we're really lucky to be able to do that. But even there, people, you can tell there's a, a great deal of anxiety. Children are worried. Some children are worried about going near other children and parents and grandparents are worried. So... I think there's, you know, we to find places that, that are safe enough for children to be able to play and have freedom and actually not to be constantly on edge and anxious, I think it's going to really matter. And school grounds are an ideal place. Um, but you've also got areas around schools and green spaces. If there was a way of funding 
enough staff and resources and training and confidence building for people within those schools and within those early year settings to actually get children out in nature it'd be just amazing we um we're using the phrase nature premium because uh, of the existing sports premium. Uh, so it's an accepted financial model. Um, but we are saying every child, regular ex nature experiences for every child, uh, because um, the, the sports premium does, doesn't include early years. So we're trying to say this is a, a model, but we think it should be expanded into early years as well. Um, and there's an OECD report that um, demonstrates that when you invest a pound in early years education, you get far more back in, in terms of the return uh, than you do post 11 year olds. So um, we're making the, the, the argument that um, it's important to concentrate on early years as well as uh, primary school children. Mm. Yeah, that's really good. And that's where you absolutely see the impact on those really little children who haven't had those nature experiences. And when they do, um, yeah, we were talking earlier, weren't we, about um, the sort of effect of working with little children. Um, Sarah Lopal, you mentioned that. And um, yeah, the, the reward that you see, and you obviously think if that's embedded at that age, how that will help them carry them through when they are up into primary school and they'll grow to to expect that as well that's the other thing is you know if you do that at a nursery level or early years stage um that that's part of life that's part of education and that's normalized um it's really important um am i right in thinking the sports premium has recently come to an end or am i wrong about that oh it's still going still going on yeah because it, it came to a contracted end and then they have continued it now on a year it was like a three or five year project and now they've a bit like a, you know a tendency where they now go it's just year to year um but it does kind of raise the point doesn't it that like having this funding ring fenced is really important um not just to say schools should be doing this thing but to say uh, like the sports premium was, you know, the school, they could have just said, you know, here's an extra whack in your budget. We'd like you to do sports with it. But if it goes in the IT room, don't worry about it. But if you want to have measurable outcomes, then you need to be able to go spend it in this way. And I guess the hope is also that um, in having a ring fenced pot of money, it will encourage um, school leadership teams to, you know, they'll have to engage with it, even if it's for five minutes to go, what are we going to buy? And that might be the difference between there being no nature connection in a school and there being something that then starts to snowball that then, you know, connects those children. It's, um, it's making it statutory is a really powerful tool. Um, and it's, it means that um, those people who are um, already on, um, on board and trying to uh, take children outside into nature it uh, it facilitates their work but those schools where um, they've seen the curriculum being um, reduced down and down to focus on English and maths and then it fights against that sort of um, situation to yeah. get all children outside and we've also um, I, I work with uh, in urban Portsmouth as I said and, and I have a very ethnically diverse um, range of children that I work with. And um, one of the points that I keep making is, uh, if you have um, children that are confident to go out into the countryside, then they're more likely to um, take their families and go out when they're um, young adults and have their own families. So it's a definite investment into um, making a generation much more pro-environmental. Hmm. And, with, and with all just the, I mean, you don't want to call them like soft benefits, but it's the things that come with that, like reduce stress and reduce, you know, these are measurable things, you know, more time in nature is linked to a lower obesity rate. And so if the government is saying, you know, we're tackling obesity in this way, makes sense to also tackle it in this other way. Um, but as well, I think one of the things that are personally, I'm quite apprehensive about is this the drive that seems to be coming out for when schools reopen that they will um prioritize 
more so than they've been doing for years now literacy maths science and uh, reading writing you know hammer those things in and it might be at the expense of mental health and physical health just to to and i'm using air quotes but you can't say to catch up yeah and there is funding available for that right they are giving schools funding for catching up of children but as far as i'm aware they're not giving any additional funding well a for any kind of um, physical um, aids to helping social distancing due to coronavirus, which is like mm. another topic, um, but there's very definitively no funding available for that. Um, but also for anything that is going to um, help children with their mental and emotional health, as we've been talking about. So this kind of does meet that need, doesn't it? And I absolutely agree with what you're saying about making it statutory kind of um, kind of rubber stamps the work that people are already doing but also gives those schools that are not doing things a bit of a push and not only schools but parents as well because you may you know you you do come across parents who are very anxious about their children's um success in english and maths and do sometimes question you know and certainly in schools where i've been delivering for a school generally it's very positively received uh but you you do get the occasional parent who's like mm, but what are they actually doing i mean my child came home filthy the other day and they're just sort of really just playing really aren't they so what's that about um and to say you know well this is actually mandated and it's part of school life um kind of makes everybody feel a little bit more confident i think and it becomes uh better known can we agree that the phrase just playing is like a yeah. red rag to a bull for this yeah. particular group of people that yeah. like <laughs> you might get away with just playing in other conversations but i think we all visibly everybody's sort of video just went like mm, I'm not really happy <laughs> just playing because it is all the stuff isn't it Sarah it's like the synthesizing of the stuff that happens in learning then gets built into long-term memory when they go out and apply it I know and it's so ex it's really exciting to watch and I find actually when when I started getting involved in coaching more I was meeting people from the business world and they were absolutely saying we need to get people playing more we need playful approaches to thinking you need to play with ideas so looking at what big businesses are doing so you look at places like google um and and they're bringing play into the business world because it's effective it builds relationships and it gets people's brains working actually there's so much neuroscience now looking at how sitting still for long periods of time is really bad for thinking Mm. And, you know, there are opportunities uh, for children in, in a school day when you've got a school that does really rich outdoor learning. And there are many schools doing incredible work that are using forest school, but they're using lots of other kinds of outdoor learning as well. And children are going outside to do their history and their science and their music and their maths. You know, it's they're taking children out into the locality and they're building connections with people in the community. They're learning about um, businesses. You know, that so much of that is outdoor learning that a nature premium would actually, um, would, would fund. And thinking around, you know, solving problems in your locality, children, children are really quick to go, do you know, there aren't enough trees, there aren't enough plants, there's nowhere for the birds to sing, there's nowhere for them to make their nests. Children come up with brilliant solutions to problems and, and they notice stuff. They're so observant. You take children out for a walk and say, what would you like to be better here? And they've got fabulous ideas. So this nature premium is, forest school would be a great way to, to use it, part of it. But there's so many other things you could be doing. So planting trees, developing gardens, creating spaces near to your school grounds, you know, actually having community projects that are really based in the community that are looking after people that are building connections. So we're seeing this as a very much a way of a green recovery and getting children would would be able to start really researching well what plants would grow here what plants do we need what do the birds need what do the what do the animals need there's well it's rich it's rich in possibilities and opportunities i think definitely and i, I think um what we're doing is uh, if we if if the nature premium could encourage a generation of children to um, develop a love of the natural world then uh, we're providing um, individuals who would be motivated to, to 
take a, a natural history GCSE that's been proposed um, mm. and then would hopefully um, the, go on to contribute to the local communities with the National Nature Service that's been proposed. So we see it really as um, uh, uh, contributing to um, a whole generation that will grow up uh, appreciating the local natural world and then appreciate what needs to be done to, to protect uh, our environment and improve our current situation. Yeah, I and think it, there's, a, there's a thing though, isn't there, that's like, we're, we've already, uh, we have all obviously got a bias where we are very pro-nature, pro-outdoors, we know those benefits. Um, and a bit like we were saying earlier with the parents going, well, what are they going to get out of this? And it's not just that those children are going to grow up and potentially do a different GCSE or potentially be involved in the Forestry Commission or something else. But, you know, there's this real big push at the moment for thank you, NHS. We love the NHS. We're doing all we can to support the NHS. Now, if you had something that said, we know this can reduce obesity and, you know, um, sedentary lifestyles in children who then become non-sedentary adults, isn't that a good way to support a national health service and go in, in a generation's time, we're reducing the burden. You know, it's all very good while throwing money at it with short-term solutions, but to go, right, let's look at this in the long-term, you know? Yeah, and I was just um, thinking about the um, Improving Access to Green Space report from Public Health England, which was released in July. Um, and I just had to check the figure because I couldn't quite remember it. But um, in there, it states recent valuations have estimated that £2.1 billion a year can be sell saved in health costs if everyone in England had good access to green space due to increased physical activity. Um, and for every £1 spent in Sheffield from, on maintaining parks, there's a benefit of £34 in health costs saved. So even without that kind of, you know, we're talking about, the, you know, as you said, there's the soft benefits of play and, you know, mental health and all that kind of thing. It is a physical, tangible benefit in terms of health and, and money saving, which ties into what you're saying about the NHS. Um, so, you know, it's really I think it's really well timed with this report coming out. It's quite um, the report is, is worth it's worth reading if any listeners haven't looked at it, because it's quite um, strident in the, the claims it makes for the benefits of being in nature. Um, and you sort of read it and go, okay, right. Some people are actually agreeing with this and writing it down. This is incredible. And it seems a, a bit of a zeitgeist moment to kind of grab onto the tail of that. And, you know, it's a good time for this thing. I think that's, that's also why we, when we were deciding what the wording of it was going to be, we, we undenard over nature connection, nature experience, nature, you know, outdoor experience. But the one thing that we the knew had to be in there was um, regular because that is one of the most important things in all these studies is it's not just going to the going to the beach in the school holidays and it's not just um, at the end because I think that is something that you know credit where credit's due I think a lot of particularly primary schools are very good at end of term um, residentials or end of term experiences possibly when they feel that the academic pressure has been lifted, we've done SATs or we've crammed everything into their brains that we can for the year and they're just spent. So now we'll take them out. But what we're saying is that actually the benefit comes from, you know, now we've said regular, but we didn't say weekly, as far as I'm aware, it doesn't say weekly or, you know, it's just giving schools that flexibility, but saying this isn't a one-off thing. Don't, don't spend it all. Um, and one go but there are loads of different things they can do with that funding aren't there I mean Sarah Sarah Lawful you mentioned a few of them earlier um, and we kind of kicked around ideas didn't we where this money might end up yeah and I, I think it's really important that schools have have the funding but then have the freedom to work out what is the best because they know their children they know their communities and their families and they'll know what what is needed most They'll also, most schools have got good connections with outdoor learning practitioners and they've got, you know, they might have farms, city farms that they go to or um, local botanical gardens or an outdoor residential out of, um, out of area that they go and stay in. But you know how it's so powerful. And when I was teaching, um, I made sure that, you know, before I'd even discovered forest school, which was the most exciting thing for me, but 
we went to the park we walked you know we would we would go and feed the ducks with my class you know and i'd get parents in and we'd go and we'd post letters and we'd just walk we'd go out walking and and they'd be so excited about things like finding a snail you know the, the snail was more exciting than going to the post office to buy your stamps but you know children are so observant when they're given time and space and and they don't get that very often and parents have got so much pressure on them to get children to, to school on time get them picked up you know pick up pick them up from a childminder or from nursery get, getting them backwards and forwards as always <laughs> you know I, I'm a grandma now and and I just explained to to you I was looking after my two grandsons today for a little bit and I was exhausted absolutely exhausted because they don't stop and I and I'm I think sometimes as teachers we can forget how it, how tiring it is being parents and having an understanding that parents need support and they need encouragement and they need help to understand that the things that are free are valuable and we are in a we're in a culture that is so consumerist and it's we, you know we're being sold this stuff on television and through social media that we need to go to these exciting places but actually the stuff that's around the corner is often what the children want to do the most i was i was working on a play association funday many years ago in a, in a huge park and we'd set up a mud kitchen we'd got ropes and we'd got you know sticks and shelter building stuff for children to come and play with and we were inundated with children they all flocked to us and the parents the whole time were trying to get the children to come away and go and have their faces painted or go and queue for three hours to get on i exaggerate to go on the roundabout or to go on the bouncy castle and and the children would bring the parents back because they wanted to swing in a hammock climb a tree and lie on the grass they didn't want to have their faces painted and we as parents think they've got to have we've got to be providing these things when actually children love a cardboard box and they love a stick and they love watching ants crawling in a hole or you know chasing seagulls across the field you know they that that's what they want to do well they do and then there's also uh there's a thing isn't there that's that's i mean i i would imagine we have all experienced this where we've had children come to sessions who it doesn't take long for you to realize oh you don't go outside much and not in a judgmental way, just in a kind of observation of like, oh, okay, you're in a different place to some other children. Um, and like you say, if we, if this becomes a statutory thing in schools that children have this regular access to nature and this experience with it, then I think it, it is almost a self-fulfilling prophecy where if children don't go outside, mm -hmm. they don't know how to be outside. And so when they get, when they, you know, the school day finishes, children if they're used to a very passive sort of um you know entertainment being brought to them and given to them and things like that then you know the park or the local woods can sometimes be either daunting or they don't know what to look for they don't know how to how to play in it whereas if that was happening in school as a regular experience then like you say it eases a burden in some ways on parents because you just go to the woods and the kids will know they'll know how to play with it they'll know you know that they can make a den or that they you know or what that bird is or you know you know it's that stuff isn't it? it it's it can either spiral down downwards or if we can get this in motion we can start to spiral it back up and you get children that are really comfortable and confident outside and then they have families who are confident and comfortable outside and it just spirals and spirals and spirals doesn't it yeah, and we know that they do go home and talk nonstop about what they've seen and done when they're outdoors. So many families, you know, both from doing forest school within schools and um, in our woods, um, so many times parents be like, oh my goodness, they have not stopped talking about the worms that you guys found the other day, or they told me this thing about a tree the other day, and they told, you know, and they parent after parent will say how amazingly excited the children are. And um that that'd be true in a primary school where you know parents would say like Friday afternoon forest school is the thing that the child lives for you know um and that will be with the family that as you say those aren't particularly outdoorsy maybe and all of the stuff that the children are bringing home is new to them which is a bit like what you were saying Sarah Collins about um you know that it's infectious and the children going home 
means and te- you know, sharing all the stuff that they've experienced outdoors um, inspires the family you'd hope to to try it as well um, and yeah I have met children little children doing forest school with a nursery who were terrified of being outdoors so so terrified um, which was a really interesting experience for me to kind of look reflect on my practice and go okay right I've had an experience this before I've got a three-year-old who is so scared to be outside that he is he's sick before forest school and he's just scared you know and the, the staff are trying to speak to him about what it is that it's worrying him and he's and all he can say is being outdoors that is scary you know the, and obviously the ground feels different and the sounds are different and the temperature is different and all the expectations upon him are different um but to be three and to have that absolute terror of just being in the field at the bottom of your nursery school where there are a few trees um that he won't be the only child in that situation so if by having this you know regular access through nature premium that is life-changing isn't it and the the funding will help because i think lots of schools are in a position where they might really want to do it but their resources have been allocated elsewhere it's very for some um leadership team they might not feel even though they might really want to do it they might not feel that they do have the independence to go right we're taking this this bit of money and actually we're not going to invest it into um the ict suite we're going to put it into whatever else because they've got all these pressures going on from parents or from governors or um you know exam pressures and things like that so having it ring fenced will mean that they don't it's almost like they don't have to do the fight we, we are in a way taking it nationally and going right we're going to fight for every school here to not have to have that that conversation no head teacher is going to have to have that conversation anymore and go well I think nature's really you know they're not going to have to do that they just go that's the budget what we're spending it on um Mm. which I think is all the more impressive at the moment because all the steam that we've all the sort of momentum and and steam that we've generated has been done by the FSA volunteers you know And, and we're doing this kind of um we don't have any you know Sarah Collins you've just kind of headed this up I guess if I think about the the campaign I'm like it's all in Sarah's head I don't have to worry about it Sarah knows what's going on well I mean uh, the advantage we've had over a lot of um, of some of the the bigger conservation charities is that uh, a lot of their staff were furloughed during lockdown and so there wasn't anyone to do any of this sort of work and as volunteers we are in a position where we can uh, we can put our time forward to make make this happen um, and we, we have had people volunteering uh, outside of the FSA as well now to to work with us uh, which we're very grateful for um, but what we're essentially doing is relying on our membership as well um, so we the campaign's been working in two in a, in a pincer movement we've been trying to raise the profile uh, of the campaign and get um, people to sign a petition to um, to share the message but we've also been talking to uh, the uh, politicians to try and get the decision makers to actually um, make it's a political decision we're looking for um, we believe the evidence is there um, to support uh, the benefits to the mental and physical well-being of children being in nature so we want them to make a political decision so I've been um, looking at some of the key constituencies uh, around the country, um, for example, uh, today I was speaking to uh, an FSA member who is in Boris Johnson's um, constituency and she's going to make an appointment and talk to him about uh, the nature premium. So uh, I've, I've been ringing people in Wales and uh, in Ireland and um, been talking to some people in Scotland about it as well. Um, so we are trying to um, enable our membership to speak to their, their local MP and um, ask them to support the, the Nature Premium. And so far, those MPs we have spoken to have been very supportive. Um, and they've offered to put written questions in when Parliament goes back and uh, to submit early day motions. Um, so they do recognise the benefit. And if you look at a lot of the documentation from the governments, they state the benefits to children and of being in nature. Uh, there's a 25 year um, uh, st- strategy document 
um, from DEFRA about um, how to improve the environment. And the government's actually said they want to leave, they want to be the government to leave the environment better than when, when they started. Um, and so there are these great initiatives. What we really need is for um, a political decision to make a difference to every child in Britain by having regular experiences of going into nature. Um, I, I think we are, it's a stronger campaign to, um, to include every, uh, every nature opportunity. Um, and yes, our preference would obviously be for a school, um, but I think outdoor education uh, is certainly um, also uh, the, the variety is, is to the benefit of the children to get out and have different experiences, um, not just in woodlands. I think there's an element as well, isn't there? You know, we, we've talked um, sort of uh, diversity uh, outdoors has been a theme for, for a while in our podcast now. When we're talking about, you know, once you've got a, a position, it's about what do you do with that position? Are you using your, um, your situation to help others up or are you just maintaining the status quo because that's what got you there? And forest school you know by hook or by crook is a buzzword at the moment you know a lot of the conversations that I see is people going well is this forest school well what makes that forest school well is this you know because it's such a popular term that's being used everywhere and so there were, I guess there was a bit with the campaign wasn't there we could go right well you know forest school is for lack of a better term hot right now we can either lev leverage that for ourselves or we can use this this position and this spotlight to leverage nature for every for the whole sector and to be going you know this isn't a self-serving um you know money spinner for us and and it's just for our members and whatever else and um you know i uh, i was saying um i think to, to you sarah collins the other day that um one of the things that's, that somebody mentioned to, it was richard irvine actually mentioned to me at the at a gathering a couple of years ago where he said well lots of people view the FSA as a what will I get out of it how does it you know does the me have being on a map make make me more um, financially secure or uh, does it actually accredit me with anything that's valuable um, and he was saying well that's not why you join something like that that's not why you join a charity organization he said the reason you join Greenpeace isn't because you really love that stuffed leopard, right? It might be. Some people really love the stuffed leopard. I'm not putting people down who love that little stuffed leopard, but the reason you join it and the reason you pay, pay your, you know, your subs is because you go, I believe in the work that you're doing. And I think this is our, the FSA's sort of moment to go, right. We're a bit bigger than just forest school internal things. We're going to step out now into the big, outdoor forum and government lobbying and you know five years ago we as an organization we were too we would have been too young to do something like this um mm. and i i have had uh, people say to me what do i get for my membership fee um and it is a ca case of uh, as i mentioned with the um, apiol is contributing to the industry so um the there are benefits to um being in the um uh, being a part of a community and we would like our membership to um, work with us mm -hmm. to and to contribute to us so that uh, we can become stronger and um, and and help them more um, so we have a number of different um, initiatives at the moment um, but it would be it would be really helpful if our, our membership could think uh, who's my MP and can I speak to them about um, Forest School and the Nature Premium campaign, because the more MPs that, that have that interaction, the more likely they're going to be to support something in Parliament or talk to the right decision maker. And, and, it, and it might be worth saying as well, isn't it? The reason we're saying your MP is that 
MPs have a an obligation to meet with members of their own constituency. You know, we 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 could all try and arrange a meeting with Gavin Williamson or Boris Johnson or something, but we're not going to we're not really going to get it. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you're a member of his constituency, then you are in a better position to levy that. So finding out who your MP is and going right, I'm just going to talk to you about it, and also finding out you know, maybe not who your MP is, but who is the, um, who are the other political parties in your area? Because, you know, things move, don't they? Yeah. Things change. We've also had um, one of our um, supporters, um, uh, um, Amelia, she, uh, I think she's, uh, she's definitely under 16 anyway. She's written to her MP um, to express her views about the importance of being in nature. Um, and uh, I, I think the more that MPC the conviction that people have, then um, the more likely they're going to um, sit up and take notice of um, the Nature Premium, premium campaign. I think it's it's worth saying as well, isn't it, that this is not a um, a counter to the government's kind of recovery plan and back to school plan. You know, this is something that that could really help them, I guess. And it's something that lots of other, you know, people might say, well, no other country is has this sort of thing. But culturally, it's something that's sort of dropped off the radar a bit here, that it, mm. in other, particularly other European countries, no one would question like, well, of course the children go outside. You know, you're talking about some of the Scandi-Weedian countries and they would be shocked if the children went indoors for too long. Mm. So it's just about moving that into it, isn't it? And going, right, this is a non-negotiable. Um, so what's, what's kind of next on the, on the horizon for the campaign? Well, we've been um, spending a lot of time contacting uh, a number of organisations and um, the um, outdoor classroom uh, campaign is going to be it's working with us. We've got um, a number of... Of different pe- people who are going to be supporting us um we have some boxes to tick and um some um agreements to exchange um but we're essentially keeping talking to our mps when uh the parliament goes back um the mps who've committed to support us will do what they promise to do and then we can hopefully uh, maintain the profile and get to the decision makers um so when the schools go back, uh, we're hoping that the forest school practitioners will speak to their f- families they work with and ask them to share the message. Um, and and we're asking if there's anyone who knows anyone who's um, uh, has uh, the ear of um, any senior politicians, if they want to get in touch, that'd be fantastic. Um, and we're more than happy if people want to speak to their MPs to um, give them, I'm happy to chat through the issues with them and give them any any uh, advice uh, and suggestions. I, I was just wondering, Sarah Norfolk, I wonder if I could speak to your sort of early years experience. And I know um, lots of people might say that um, early years is already, in a, in a lot of settings, is already very outdoor based. Oh, it's, it's already got a higher priority mm. or a higher status in early years. Do you think that's the case or? I think it used to be, and it used to be in the, uh, in the curriculum, it actually stated that there were things that we had to have. So you had to have access to the outdoors. And at one point it was very much the access to the outdoors and the indoors. You dealt with the whole space as one. So it's very holistic. So you'd expect children to be outside and inside as much as they wanted. And it was very free flow. And that, and that was really the push of um, early years advisors. It was sort of written down in documents and that's where we're headed. And I think the government then went, oh, actually it's too expensive. We're gonna have to pay for this. So they sort of backtracked and being outside and having access to the outside sort of got taken out of documents and I think now we're in a situation where many younger people working in early year settings have not had outdoor play experiences themselves. Even uh, I was working with um, a group of students at a univer- at Oxford Brooks University and 
I was just chatting with them about what their experience had been of playing outside and being outside. And these were students who were on a PE specialism. Some of them had sort of taken this particular module was about PE and outdoors and all of that kind of thing. And even those young people, when I took them to the woods, some of them were anxious about walking on uneven ground. And they were like, and we had a conversation about it. And they said, oh, but you know, I might trip over and I might hurt my, hurt my ankles and I might spoil my trousers. And, you know, so we were having conversations, very open, honest conversations about this. And I think if you're working in a nursery setting, often those young people have come through school, have ended up doing early years work, many of them, because they weren't sure what they wanted to do. And the temptation is, well, do you want to do animals? Do you want to do public service? Do you want to do hairdressing? Or do you want to do early years? And you kind of get sort of shimmied off. <laughs> and so you can end up with young people who have had very little play experience themselves, very little experience of being outdoors. And then we're expecting them to be taking children outside. And it it doesn't work because they haven't got the confidence and they actually don't know why they're doing it either. They've not done it themselves. So even, you know, I don't know, 20, 20 years ago, I would have children coming to my class, foundation stage class, who had not walked on uneven ground just 20 years ago. And it's worse now. And yeah, if you think they've of not the done it first time popularity themselves. of soft play centers, well, they're never going to yeah. open up again. Let's just imagine they will. <laughs> no, they've opened. They've opened. What a hive of germs. They've opened. But you know, I I once I once went to a nursery that had blue. You know the um mm -hmm. like plumbers foamy type stuff, the blue foam that goes on the outside of pipes. They had that on every corner. They had it on the corner of. They are. They're on the corner of tables, on the corner of staircases, on the corner. Every every corner had this blue foam, and I said, "What? What's this about?" And they said, "Well, a child had hit their head, and the parents had got very worried about it, and so this was their response. The nursery's response was everything wow. had to be covered in the, in this blue foam. So basically, you've got children and staff having to live in a padded environment." in case somebody bumps and hurts themselves. Now, I, none of us want children to hurt themselves, but actually school and nursery is about learning to be alive and, and just being on bouncy soft play surfaces. That's not being alive. You're not interacting with the real world. And, and being out there in the real world is gonna be how children learn to manage their own safety, have, have an understanding about forces you know children need to be allowed to fall over in, uh... they need to be able to fall over and they need to be able to have learning injuries the kind of learning injuries and whenever i teach anybody about play and learning it's it's like you know a toddler has to fall over to learn to learn to walk we don't stop a toddler learning to walk but somehow we get past that and then we're scared to death that they're going to hurt themselves and we we don't let children do the normal stuff that children need to do to be alive and function and have physical bodies that they're confident in. And they, you know, all this obesity, that, that's coming out of adults. Children aren't asking to be kept protected and wrapped up in cotton wool. But, I, you know, if we, if we have a nature premium, we're talking about get children outside, that could do a whole bunch of stuff to support and encourage teachers, teaching assistants, parents, early years people to really understand the value of being outside in the real world, doing real stuff. So is the idea that with the Nature Premium, if it came to fruition, that schools would have this funding and they would also have some kind of support alongside it, in like some suggestions about how they might spend that money? Because I'm just imagining now, um, I agree that the, the sort of freedom for the school to decide how they spend that money is great because obviously they may already be doing loads of forest school, they've got that sorted, but they they've got this other gap in their provision or it might be that they have this great resource down the road that they go yep that's absolutely what we know we're going to spend it on um but if you're in a different kind of school where a lot of the staff are as you've described maybe younger haven't grown up with that kind of experience and um themselves of being outdoors and learning through play i wonder whether some of those schools might kind of get this money and it would arrive and they just don't really know where to start and they have that fear so would there be a kind of resource available for them to 
um, kind of come up with a plan about how to spend that money in a sort of not not necessarily a scheme of work, but like some examples of how it might be spent to support them or another kind of support. Those, package those packages are, are freely available um, at the moment. Um, so, you know, there are a number of um, charities that uh, promote uh, outdoor education um, and the FSA, obviously. Um, so that that information is is available. Um, we um, it's a little bit chicken and egg. You know, if you don't have the funding, then you don't um, you don't look for the capacity. And if you've got the funding, then there's a, an opportunity to uh, to to make decisions and um, to start. And I'm sure the industry would respond to uh, facilitate the sort of learning outdoors in a rich natural environment that um, schools were looking for. I, th- I think that's exactly it, isn't it? That like, you know, we're hoping that this is not a flash in the pan. Yes, they did it for two years and then it went on. So if you're looking at this in the long term, yeah, there might be some schools that, that genuinely struggle, but I've, that, or that feel lost. But my experience would say that if there is money to be spent, schools will work quite hard mm-hmm. to find out how to spend it. Mm-hmm. And in an immediate term, that might be hiring your local forest school teacher or hiring in the local scout leader or seeing if a, a parent wants to come in and do some paid sessions of outdoor gardening or something. But that then might be the catalyst that while they're in the school, they then say, well, do you know, it'd be great if the kids had a set of shovels. Oh, it'd be great if the, you know, your, um, I don't know, your woodland could do with a bit of replanting, couldn't it? Um, but, and going back to the uh, National Nature service um if that was established then that would have a capacity of um of young people who would be in an ideal position to contribute to uh, any capacity um limitations that schools might have um sarah lovell can i just be sorry just to jump back very slightly um to the the so we're i think we've moved now we've 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 talked about the benefits to children and we've kind of moved into talking about what are the benefits for the educators for the teaching practice for their you know not just for their teaching practice but for their mental health for their um physical safety you know being outdoors with a group of children right now is safer is is a lower risk than being in a classroom for however many you know hours a day um do you think if it became so i remember when i did my teach training that i was and it was a depressing number of years ago now um I was told you need to do, P- you know, you have to do PE less. You have to do PE modules, not because you might do PE, but because sports premium is a thing. So every school will do it in a way that I was told, well, French is kind. If you want to do a language module, that's optional, but it might not get you a job. If you've done a PE module, you're, you're up the pecking order in terms of being hired. So do, I guess one of the hopes, I, I could be wrong, but I guess one of the hopes is that this then navigates into my sort of migrates up into training where people go right nature premiums in school you know if we're churning out pgce students they better know how to spend some outdoor money they better know how to take a group of kids outdoors because that will be something every school does yeah i I think it sort of follows on from that we know that what gets measured and reported on is what gets focused on so we know that we know that with maths and we know that with literacy you know in terms of sats and then and then with a sports premium so you actually need to be able to have key performance indicators you know that all that that stuff that's happening so you you know schools are they're buying in sports coaches and some of those will be top quality people who are coming to to work in the schools and and some maybe less so um I think understanding that if we were to prioritize or at least make as valuable, I think we're not saying we want this instead of anything else. We're saying this needs to be made as valuable as sports. If you look at, um, you look at what is available in the private sector in terms of education, you look at the brochures of schools and I'm lucky I get to go and see lots of different schools and nurseries in action. So I get to see really different um, offers that children and young people have. And it astounds me that 
I can go to a, a school that has amazing numbers of pitches for sport, for rugby, for cricket, for all kinds of beautiful things. Lovely, lovely, exciting sport going on. And there'll be a wood and there'll be amazing stuff happening there. The children have access to a river and they can do paddleboard. Mm. This is this is primary age children can have access to paddleboarding and wonderful things. And and then I can go to a, a, a preschool or a nursery that hasn't even got an outside space. You know, there's a baby room upstairs, so the children never, ever get taken out. And we've got this disparity. And actually what we're saying is a nature premium would be about really bringing some equity mm -hmm. so that children across the board have access to nature. And it's not just those those families and have parents who are able to, to, have a, to fund it. Or, or are lucky enough to have a back garden. And, and that, you know, I, I have grandchildren and... Uh, one one of my uh, daughters and her one of her daughters were shielding so for three months they didn't go out but they're very lucky they've got a back garden and and that rescued them and they grew stuff and they hunted for frogs and um in fact olive at, at the age of three was delighted to show me her frog <laughs> it was actually dead uh, her her dachshund had mangled it this has happened a few times over the summer but she was very ecstatic that she had a pet frog but it was a very dead frog and apparently it had gone in the swimming in the paddling pool and it it didn't swim anyway they'd buried it and um her mum was on the phone to me um no facetiming or something and and then i heard her say what have you got and olive had dug up her frog to see if it had started breathing again so this is Olive at the age of three, working out when you're dead, are you really dead or are you just a bit dead? Um, but, but their experience of three months, just about, of not going anywhere except their house and their garden, they were really starting to struggle. And they were really starting to, to feel the, the uh, anxiety and, and just, they were desperate to run. And um, so, so the end of shielding, I mean, they, they didn't make it to the end of shielding because they, they couldn't stand it and when it's broken mom mom it's broken 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 i don't think that it's broken honey here let me try what would you do if you didn't have a garden mm. and we know even in our town there are children who are in living in flats and they've got no access to a garden and if your parents have been trying to work while you've been <laughs> you haven't been at school and your parents are trying to work how how has anyone coped and what they've done is they've used the tv and they've used the electronic gadgets just to try and survive so you've got children who've become even more indoors than they ever would have been before and and i think going out and being doing outdoor lessons what like you say you know whatever those lessons are if it's outdoor literacy or outdoor history or outdoor whatever that's going to be a really important middle ground for children that have been told don't go near anybody everybody is a potential threat and all the you know we talked to John Cree about the you know the idea that you this weird mentality that other people are a threat which is not something that human beings can deal with for a long time um well for even any amount of time really but um being outdoors one of the best things that I always think with our sessions is you know we've we've not got a massive site we've got three acres but there's enough room that you can go, do you know what? They're kind of peeing me. I don't mean me. Well, sometimes me. But the other kids can go, do you know what? So-and-so's, you know, Jeff's really peeing me off today. And you go, right, there's two and a half other acres that you can be in. And, and that's absolutely fine. And even if it's just the difference between being in a classroom and, and being physically that close to each other, however close they're going to be when they go back, and being in a field or a woods and go, okay, you've got a bit more room to breathe your social skills are probably a bit rusty. So you're probably gonna need some extra space, some extra time to, to adjust, aren't they really? Yes, and there's, there's also understanding that, I think you're dead right, the, the impact of helping and doing something, doing something positive can have on all of our well-being. So if you're a child and your class and your teacher and your forest school leader or your, whoever you're working with says, hey, we, you know, we want to do something to, to make our school grounds better. We want to work in, uh, you know, the, the nursery garden here is looking really a bit sad and tired and we want to make it beautiful and we want to make the bees happy, <laughs> you know, learning, learning about what nature needs at a time when children are hugely anxious about 
the climate crisis. You know, we, we saw pre-lockdown, before coronavirus was on our radar, that children and young people had massive eco-anxiety and that was really building. And actually what we can offer with this Nature Premium is a great answer to that because we can say, well, what are we going to do to look after nature, to look after the planet and be connected to the planet? So children could even join in the Nature Premium campaign. That'd be an amazingly powerful way to give them agency, to give them something really positive to learn about, to understand why do, why do, why do we need nature? Why is nature important? What, do we, what are we going to do to look after nature? How are we going to make nature in our environment here better? That, that has a huge impact. When you look at the five ways to well-being, you know, it, that hits every single one of them. And you get to do all the, the research. What kind of plants do you want? What kind of trees do you want? What kind of habitats do we need to make? And there are such wonderful resources. You know, um, Learning Through Landscapes has great stuff. Woodland Trust has fabulous stuff. The RFS, the Royal Forestry Society. Um, there are so many. And the, obviously the Wildlife Trusts do amazing work as well. So, you know, many of our forest school leaders are working in collaboration with wildlife trusts down the road you know the wildlife trust will have have a woodland and there'll be forest school happening or the national trust there are so many amazing conservation charities and educate education departments working on amazing projects with children and if if we could just join it up this nature premium campaign would be about joining up lots of that brilliant work amazing yeah, it all makes sense. Just, you know, let's just send this podcast to Bojo and Co. You just, you know, you guys have nailed it. Um, so apart from like um, contacting MPs and things like that, is there anything else that people can do at this stage to support the campaign? I think sharing with their networkers, uh, families and friends um, is is important. We've, um, we've been taking photos of... Um, uh, people have been creating the uh, plus sign in the uh, Nature Premium logo with um, a range of different leaves um, and, and things. So that's, again, that's a, a way of showing support. Um, and uh, talking to the schools, um, talking to the teachers and just spreading the, the message as wide as possible, really. Um, the way you contact the Department of Education is you, you go on their website and you can ask a question. Um, and I've, I've sent um, three letters to Gavin Williamson now asking him to support the Nature Premium campaign. Um, but anyone's free to um, ask a question. So uh, if, if you wanted to um, talk to your MP and, and send a question concerning supporting Nature Premium to the Department of Education, that would be fantastic. Mm. And I think it's worth saying as well, Sarah, the website has got... Um, all sorts of information on there to help people so with different things that you can do to to support and we would love volunteers if the, if any of our members or even forest school um, practitioners who are listening to this or um, teachers who happen to listen to this you know you don't have to be a member of the forest school association to be involved in this campaign we'd love you to get in touch with us and and offer your support and your services and we are looking for organizations to sign up and support and put their logo on the on the website so there's plenty of different ways people can can support this this is about advocating for children and it's especially about how do we advocate for those children whose voices aren't heard and those young people whose voices aren't heard and and how do we get their voices heard so that's the other thing we would love is to get children recording what they think and what they want what how how would they like access to nature and and to get in touch with us and to, and like sarah said you know to to tell their mp i heard a brilliant story i, I was chatting with a colleague the other day and she just met with her local MP and some children from the local village. Um, and they were very worried about um, sewage being let out into the water. So they were there meeting with uh, water officials as well. And, and the young people listened to the politicians and they listened to the water officials. And at the end of it, they said, yes, but what are you gonna do? It was really amazing. And, and this colleague of mine said, well, you know, the, the children spotted, it was all a bit of hogwash really. <laughs> 
you know, they, they were like, you're talking, you're talking about all this stuff and you say our voices matter, but what are you actually going to do? Mm. Yeah. Just and I think that's where children them. are. They're kind of like, what are you going to do about this? Yeah. So is there an email address or somewhere on the website where if somebody does record a message from a child, there's an email address that they can send that to or... If they look at the the website, um, my email address is on there. Um, they can send a message, um, and it'll come through to us, and um, we can get back in touch and then exchange files, etc. Um, and that's probably the easiest way to, to, to go about it. Yeah, we'll put the link to the website on the show notes. For this the other um, point on the website, there are lists of priority constituencies where um, the Department of Education and um, cross party education committee um so that's made up of, of labor and liberal and conservative mps um and they all have an influence on education so um if you want to see if your um mp is in a key constituency then we put it out onto the the nature premium website brilliant great well thank you so much for your time guys thank you thank you thank you and it's it's exciting isn't it, it I, I think this is really exciting because we've had so many things to be very scared about and worried about and fearful about and this is something really hopeful and this does offer a really safe way of working outdoors with children doing things that are going to really matter yeah and hopefully this this will be the thing people look back on in five years and go, oh, yeah, that's, that was before they had Nature Premium. What a crazy time. What a crazy time. <laughs> Unthinkable. Amazing. Unthinkable. But thank you, guys. Thank, thank you. you. Great to spend time with you. Okay, cheers. Bye-bye. Bye. If you like this podcast, and want to support more episodes, you can donate through Patreon. Visit patreon.com forward slash children of the forest to show your support for the Forest School podcast.